0: Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales, content, and value enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Todd Abbott. He has been the chief executive officer for Insight Squared and a seasoned executive leader. He served prior as a couple, EVP Global Sales and Services for Mitel, Chief Revenue Officer for Spirian, President and CEO of Tele, SVP Sales and Marketing, President of Field Operations for Avaya, also at Seagate Technology, Symbol Tech, Cisco, IBM. Ma'am, we are really pleased to welcome Todd Abbott to our show and also for his new role with MediaFly as MediaFly just this week announced the acquisition of Insight Square. Todd Abbott, welcome. Good to be here, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. And as a seasoned sales leader, you've been responsible for forecasting revenue performance. <laughs> um, you know What did you use in the past, so at past companies, to do this? And then what do you see companies doing most often to t- today to develop their Sales forecasts and understand their revenue performance.
1: Uh, well, get right into it with that big open ended question out of yeah. the gate. I love it, Tom. Um, yeah, listen, what I've, I, I've done uh, over the years is what a lot of B2B sales leaders have. I don't think I'm unique. We've all relied on this roll up process that uh, is clumsy at best, uh, a lot of spreadsheets, Google Sheets, whatever the case may be, uh, an ops team that is spending an enormous amount of time. Uh, working with the different regions to, to get the data in the formats where we could assess it, inspect it, interrogate it before I rolled up a forecast. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that what's changed over the years is that the dependency on the forecast being accurate has become an even shorter fuse to job tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, we've got, as the market's gotten more competitive, as uh, the capital markets have driven more accountability to the CEO, Everything rolls downhill, uh, and it it is a term of employment for a CRO to to be accurate with the forecast. You get maybe one, maybe two at the most, uh, that if you don't deliver, uh, the CRO is the first to take the bullet. And so it's just ratcheted up this level of pressure that uh, the old, the historic ways that we have many, many companies still do today, and I certainly have done over the years, um is, is starting to fray. It's not scaling with the demands of the job. And you see that with the, the average life of a CRO now has continued to contract. Uh, I mean, the life of a CRO in a medium and small PE VC backed company is now 16 months. Wow. I mean, that that is a short fuse. Yeah. As a public company, it's closer to three years. Um, but it's it that is also contracted. And so You know, the the whole driver behind that is that we've never really put into systems to bring more data, fact-based analytics into the forecast. We are still using way too much judgment from our years of experience Mm -hmm. with what do I believe on what's being rolled up? Who do I believe into managing this portfolio? And so it's typically a lot of of a few small people getting around the table at the beginning of a month or quarter. What do we think? And what are we going to roll up? Uh, and that just doesn't fly when markets underneath are changing so dynamically. Mm-hmm. It has to change. The good news is technology is now bringing some things to, to market that, that will allow that change to finally take place.
0: Awesome. And Todd, I call it voodoo forecasting. It's basically yeah. kind of rolling out the, the chicken bones and the entrails and you know trying to decipher it. And for a top-down kind of leadership, it, it can be difficult to do that from just the the uh, information that is provided and is available to you, a lot of it is gut feel and in, intuition. A lot of it is spending a ton of time with the group, rolling up data into spreadsheets, which is ineffective and sometimes error prone. How many times have you found errors in those spreadsheets, right? Unbelievable. <laughs> and then the, probably the worst, when you think about it, bottoms up too, this isn't working, right? You're the seller. And what is the most dreaded call of the week? I know for my people, it was always the forecast review, right? The interrogation, the turn on the French fry lights. And as a seller, you're trying to be as optimistic as possible. And, you know, so you're listening with happy ears, you're communicating with a happy voice and being a cheerleader for the deal. And then the sales managers, the regional managers, the the leadership is trying to decipher through that to try to see the truth, right? And a lot of times that's difficult to do from what's being communicated to you about the deal and the facts that you're working with. And then that all gets rolled up into a spreadsheet and a quote unquote scientific method tries to get applied to it, but the data isn't necessarily accurate or isn't, doesn't have enough uh, parameters in it so that you know whether you're being told the truth in those meetings. or
1: well, not. And the, the data that's being used to validate uh, is all historic. It's all rear view mirror. Yeah. Right. I mean, we all use, what's the historic conversion rates? Do I have enough funnel to make this number? Mm-hmm. And the problem is that you have no way of understanding this funnel coverage starting this month, this quarter. How does it compare from a quality standpoint with last month, last quarter? Mm-hmm. Because if you put enough pressure, and we've all done this, put enough pressure on the organization to have enough funnel to cover the number, by golly, they'll give you that much funnel. Yeah. And then we spend all this time uh, I, I love that analogy on the French fry lights, yeah. which is the least intellectually stimulating process aspect of the process to both rep and manager trying to figure out the reality. Yeah. And I always viewed my ability to be accurate in my forecast was always trying to reduce the standard deviation within each region around the world. Cause each mm-hmm. manager has got a different risk profile, a different approach um, and Some are more risk takers. Some are more bullshitters. And so my whole job was to figure out this this portfolio of business translates into what so that I could live to fight another day and drive the execution of the business. And it's and it's just a it's an unscalable process as the pressure to make the number has been ratcheted up.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it is like this black, dark art. Like I said, that's yeah. why I use the voodoo term with it. we yeah. need to turn it into a science and you, know, you can still have good intuition. You can still have uh, folks that are analyzing this that still can, can use some of that intellect that they have, but how do we direct it in a better way? Um, and that's where this term revenue intelligence has kind of come out of. There's a great buzz about it and it's there to help modernize forecasting, drive predictable revenue performance, What exactly is revenue intelligence? Give us your definition, Todd. Yeah, revenue intelligence is, is,
1: uh, in in essence, enabling you to understand your sales process uh, and, in turn, a tactical um, view of an opportunity based, grounded in data. Um, And uh, and the ability to, to do that requires us to eliminate the dependency on the rep to get that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has been accelerated with COVID because, you know, everything now is a digital first engagement. Yeah. And so the, the footprint of the engagement, it being digital, is all there. But up to this point, the model has been based upon the rep key punching the information into CRM as to what's going on on that deal. It's a flawed model. I don't care how much pressure, whether you use carrot or stick for the rep to give you the data, you're never going to get a comprehensive view. And so we've never been able to realize this opportunity to ground the discussion on analytics um, because, because of that dependency. So, so now let's get the rep out of that. Like, like I, first of all, your best reps are the worst at putting in data and you typically give them the most latitude because they execute. Mm-hmm. And if you put more administrative burden on them to keep everything up to serum, they'll leave because they're frustrated and you're taking time away from selling. When in fact you need their data the most, right? Yeah. And so revenue intelligence is about getting the engagement profile and into a system that then forces all functions in the company to deal with the realities of what is the sales process, what marketing material actually works, what what, what competitors actually create the most burden. And so what, what at the executive level, if you think about it, we get into man- monthly business reviews or quarterly business reviews. Every function comes in with its... Mm-hmm dashboards and interpretation of the data uh, that, that oftentimes is not in, in cohesion or alignment with you know, marketing's data, b- sales's data, product management's data, CFO's data. Everybody has a view. And, it's, and up to this point, the, COO is responsible, the CEO is responsible, your CEO is to try to bridge all that. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Um, and so what revenue intelligence is, let's get one view of the health of the business, Uh, the health of the sales process, and align everybody to a set of data to run cross-functional execution to optimize the performance of the company. And and that's the eureka moment. When when our customers and people realize that that's now possible, like now you can start to to really fundamentally change the execution capability of your company.
0: Awesome, Todd. Let's drill into that a little bit. Start with the key data sets that you think the commercial teams need to tap in order to kind of get it right. Yeah.
1: So what we've learned is that the number one indicator of the health of of an engagement, and this is very intuitive in hindsight, right? Is that when a customer, when your value prop is resonating, the customer will engage with your team. Mm -hmm. They'll respond to emails, they'll schedule meetings, they'll look at your attachment, they'll search relevant content on the web, Like they will, there is behavior that is very evident. And when your value prop stops resonating, they stop investing time. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily declare I'm done. Uh, They just stop responding to your rep. They stop, they cancel meetings. They don't look at attachments. And up to this point, like we've been relying on the rep. Well, now what you want to be able to do is capture all of that digital engagement automatically. So I want to know what the email volume actually back in from the customer is. When are they responding? To what frequency? And then what's the analytics of what that what's in the emails? And the, I want to know how many meetings and is the buying group expanding? Like One of the other things that we've learned is that most customers at most have 30 to 40% of the contacts from a customer standpoint that are part of the buying group through a sales process, right? Because the rep's going to give you the key ones, but- there's nothing in it for them to keep adding more. Mm-hmm. So how does, how does marketing do an ABM program when you've got 30% of the contacts? And, and what's the quality of those contacts, right? So we talk about identif- bringing in all the emails, automatically capturing the meetings, automatically capturing who the contacts are that your teams are engaged in, not just the rep,
0: mm-hmm. but the
1: SE, the overlay, the manager, like automatically capture all that. Now you have a robust data set And what we have found is that literally activity engagement of emails and meetings is the number one indicator of the health of a deal because it's validating they're going to spend time to continue to invest their time in your value problem.
0: I love it. Totally. On the Value side, which is where yeah. the ROI got start. Is- one of the data sets that I know at in Insight Squared you weren't taking advantage of, but at Mediafly we can take advantage of is value insights. So, for example, what challenges does the buyer have? What use cases? What are the value drivers that they think are valuable? What about a capability maturity score and index of the company? So now not only will we have the engagement data. The contact information, um, know which content, marketing content is being consumed or not being consumed by the buying teams, which is all incredible insights. There's that little plus one now of, uh, hey, can we get information about the challenges that they care about? Going back to that value prop, right? That's so important. Um, what do you think about that? and that, case? I
1: think that's where this is going, right? Um, you know, today I, I would call this like the first. first generation of the ability to get all this data, what you then need is a very robust machine learning engine that's going to sort through all the data and connect the dots because there's no way your ops team, your product team is going to be able to extract the data and go figure out the insights. So what do I mean by insights, right? To your point, like like, to be able to in the qualification and discovery stage, whether that's recording a meeting, whether that's looking at the context of email going back and forth, to be mm-hmm. able to assess, is that rep, do I really have a good understanding of what the pain points are? And then have that machine learning be able to translate, are is the engagement then reacting and responding to that with the content, with the talk tracks, with the engagement that's connecting the dots on value. Like that's where this is going, is the, a system that can look at how what's the content of the email, what's the content of the call. What's the content of, or the engagement of the content? Are they, is the customer looking at the right content? But before that, like, how is the rep presenting your value problem?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: conversation intelligence today can give you the talk track, translate it, identify keywords, but how are they using your contact, your content to guide that discussion back to what was learned in discovery? So for a system to be able to connect those dots and ultimately what you wanna be able to do is when it connects the dots and the engagement's going in the wrong direction or the rep may not have focused enough on the right value proper, didn't connect those dots, have the system prompt that rep to say, hey, you missed something here or Mm -hmm. you might wanna send this material given the context of what's happened to date. Like That's where these systems are going. Um, and, and I couldn't be more excited about the ability to leverage uh, a robust infrastructure to connect the dots for the rep to better manage the deal or manage his, his or her territory because you know, CRM was supposed to be a territory management system. It never was, right? It's a database tool for companies, for executives. Um, but now the system's going to be able to say, Hey, it's been two weeks since you've heard from that customer. Uh, now good reps have it in their head. Yeah. But how do you get everybody to be that good? Yeah. Prompt the rep, you know, statistically, when you haven't heard from the customer at this stage in two weeks, you probably want to ping them. And this might be the best contact to ping them with to get them back on the phone with you. Right. So uh, that's what I'm so excited about. And, and frankly, what brought Mediafly and us together is we had all the email conversational intelligence meetings, adding contacts, but not, but having that level of how is the rep sharing the data, but how is your customer engaging with the data? Now you can go back to marketing and to enablement and say, here's a good, here's how you get highest conversion rates of these key meetings in the sales process. Now you can replicate great because you've got the data to be able to do it.
0: Yeah. The content engagement and the value engagement are both key there. And I, I love what you're saying too. It's not just, even though this is, to help with forecasting efficiency and effectiveness and the, the predictable revenue. To have it go to that next level is getting the AI recommendations on the priority of deals and the best next steps. That's kind of that next kind of uh, evolution in the revenue intelligence game. Now, today this hasn't been implemented effectively. Obviously technology had to come a certain way. Systems had to be integrated to get this data. What do you think have been some of the big barriers? I, I know you mentioned the rep and the data hygiene being an issue, the data volume and being able to dashboard it and in the insights. What are some of the things that you've seen as barriers? To you know, it's,
1: um, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think there's two things that, that come to mind. One is a challenge I have and the other one is just an assessment of the maturity of a customer. What I mean by that, the first one is, uh, I still think there's so many um, organizations out there that are not aware of the advancement in automatically capturing this information and its value. Um, so I have like, this, this, this requirement to like, shout from the mountaintops, are you aware of activity capture? And you can get all this information without the rep, the putting more burden on the rep. So there's a market education Uh, that is already pretty well advanced in small startups who tend to be more tech savvy. The larger organizations, especially the non-tech, tend to be uh, not fast followers. Mm -hmm. We got to get the word out, right? The second thing that, and one that I find um, is challenging for my go-to-market is, is this, there still is an awful lot of sales leaderships out there that are operating in the art of sales mode. -hmm. Versus understanding the science of sales, Um, and so there are. I can pretty much tell when I engage a customer, the eyes start to glaze over pretty quick. Um, It's it's too much work, frankly, for me to teach somebody how to be a science of sales. Mm -hmm. My inner voice says, "Oh, this is this world's going to change for you at a pace that you you don't yet realize." It it actually, the the analogy I use for my team is in the early days when I sold the Cisco, we were selling at the early internet days, this sounds like I'm really dating myself here now, mm-hmm. right? But, but we were selling uh, the internet routers and switches. If, I, if a customer didn't really understand or didn't buy in at the fact that the internet was going to change their, their business, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get out of the door fast enough. Like I, you're dead men walking and you don't even know it, mm-hmm. right? Now it's not quite that far, but, but if you're an art of sales type today, it's going to be really hard for you to be effective in your job. Yeah. Because your competition is going to be hiring people that are very science of sales, which is going to drive an optimization, a continuous improvement loop on optimization of execution that is going to make it very hard for you to compete if you're still in the, op, uh, in the art of sales mode. Yeah. So this job, these professions, both revenue ops, sales ops, and CROs, um, this world is about to get really upended. And my, what my biggest obstacle is differentiating very quickly. If you're an art of sales, you may be bringing down the average age, average tenure in a job. If you don't adjust, if you're there or want to adjust, I'll invest all the time in the world with you because you're, you're not going to have a choice. Just like those mm-hmm. customers didn't have a choice to get on the internet, whether they realize it or not, like the, the, the job is going to be disrupted and you can't fight it. And you can't art of sales around it. You will not execute.
0: Yeah, completely agree. As good as a insightful, intuitive person as you might be, you know, the voodoo is going to give way to the science and the data leverage. And I love the data capture aspect as well, because how many organizations have Salesforce day or Salesforce morning, right? Literally, it's a data hygiene, four hours, six hours, eight hours, where they're just trying to get the sellers to do what they need to do. That's right. Talk about having that time back. That's and right. Having the accuracy around it from data capture. And how
1: much time is spent chasing people down so that I, as a CRO, had a clean funnel, clean forecast. So when I sat down with my CEO and my CFO or had to get ready for a board meeting, everything was up to date. Sales ops, revenue ops is always chasing people down. It's such a waste of time. Yeah,
0: completely agree. Now we talked about the merger with MediaFly, particularly that. You know, at MediaFly, we had the sales enablement, the content enablement, the value enablement, um, data and information. You had the database, the insights, the dashboards. Talk about the merger, why this is so important, why it's occurring now, do you think, in the marketplace and what this means going forward?
1: Yeah, so um, a, a couple of things. And I mean, this started with a webinar that Carson and I, uh, CEO of MediaFly, did in uh, June of this year. Uh, we had been engaging for a couple of months and um, up before that and said, wow, like we see the world in very similar ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did not, I was not aware of the advancement in technology to really be able to get the level of analytics on how a customer is engaging with content and, and, and how they're forwarding it and how others are engaging it. And immediately connected the dots to me, like as a, as a sales guy at heart, like if I knew coming out of the last meeting or going into a meeting that the customer was engaging with the content, had gone back to it, was looking at value. Like it would change the agenda for the meeting Yeah. versus if I knew that they looked at it, you know, opened it and went a second, a second, a second, they really didn't look at it. Okay. I don't even need to ask you. Did you look at my attachment? Like I, I because the customer is going to lie and I know like, I just, I, it's going to set my agenda. Right. Yeah. So it just kind of blew me away to say, how the customer's engaging to a rep, to be able to, to, to orchestrate my engagement process. Like, wow, that was, that was really cool stuff. Um, and so it, it, the dots connected for both of us. Um, and so why now is that the, this, the tech stacks are starting to consolidate. Yeah. Like what people are realizing is I've, I have, I've deployed so many different point products to my tech stack, conversational intelligence, sequencing tools, uh, 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 sales enablement tools, forecasting tools, dashboarding tools. All these tools are creating a set of analytics and data that it's impossible for ops to pull it all together. And mm-hmm. customer of the day who had three of these systems and had three three health scores on the deals and all conflicted with each other. And they were like, how do I make heads or tails of this? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, Mr. Customer, you, the only way you're going to is if you recognize that this revenue intelligence is a architectural platform that, that if you want to continue to get the, the solutions from the point products, the best of breed, that's fine. But mm-hmm. you've got to get the data into, a, into an infrastructure that is not going to rely on the old ways of somebody in Ops doing an export and trying to figure out what all these, these databases combine mean. The data is too voluminous, mm-hmm. right? We're adding about 10 times the amount of, of data in an op record with our activity capture.
0: Yeah.
1: Multiply that by how many deals in your funnel. There's no way a manual process, an export is going to be able to do it. And so you need an infrastructure that's going to take all this together and it's going to force a consolidation of the tech stack and it's happening.
0: Mm-hmm. The amount
1: of acquisitions and mergers that have taken place in the last 12 to 18 months in the sales and marketing tech stack is, is higher than any by a huge factor. And it's just starting, right? So what's happening is the markets are coming together to figure out who can do it all, what mm-hmm. architecture is going to enable us to do it all, and at the end of the day, you either have to uh, consolidate or be consolidated. Uh, and 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 these this is a natural consolidation point. Uh, we're the first in the market that has this level of analytics. Um, and an infrastructure This is what we've been building is an infrastructure that's going to scale to whether or not you want to continue to rely on point products or you want to start to pull it all together. That's your choice. I tell customers all the time, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And you may not think you need to get there now, just like that customer didn't think he needed to get ready to the internet then. But I'm telling you, you're going to need an infrastructure because the data is too voluminous. You're not going to be able to do it the traditional ways. And so that's that at its heart... Was what drove me to go figure out: Was I going to do a big round? Was I going to look to sell, mm-hmm. or was I, or or what? Was I going to consolidate? While we're being bought, this is very much from an architecture standpoint a consolidation that I think is uh, is positions that's incredibly well to do more integrations, acquisitions, and be a major player in the space.
0: I agree, because sales enablement on its own, very effective content enablement to improve the engagement, very effective value enablement, kind of what how I got to MediaFly, very effective as well. Now you've got this revenue intelligence underpinning that will help to collect all of the data from all those solutions, plus others, email, conversation intelligence, ABM, combine it all, and then drive the what's the next best sales enablement step? What's the next best content enablement step? What's the next best value enablement step? I, I just love the vision and uh, can't wait to help execute on it with you, Todd. Um, I, you know, a lot of folks are listening and saying, all right, that's all good and fine. Um, I got a commercial team. How do I get started in revenue intelligence? What do you think is the best way to kind of start to approach this?
1: I think the first thing you, you, you have to do is have a strategy around automatically capturing the data. Mm-hmm. Like that is the starting that's point. So it's
0: like, on the data capture then,
1: right? Just And that's a really light lift. That's basically an integration of your email calendaring system with CRM. Mm-hmm. Like we do that. Um, uh, and then the first thing we would do is help the customer understand what does your sales process really look like? Uh, So when we go in, we'll go back 15 months and and augment all of the records in Salesforce that you closed, won, and lost. And you want to be able to identify the insights. And by insights, what are the characteristics that are present when you win versus when you lose? I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I I talked before about numbers of context. Do you really know what the ideal buying group is when you win? Mm -hmm. Most of my customers have no idea because you only have 30 to 40%. Yeah. Right. So when we go in, we'll go back and we'll add all the context up that aren't in CRM today that your team actually engaged in when you win. What's the what's the buy group size compared to when you win versus you lose? Now you have a reference point to look at every deal. And is this deal single threaded or not? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so uh, ideally, what, what, what we have found is that every sales process has two inflection points. I've never seen more than two. These are two points in the process. And when I say the process, I don't think in terms of sales stages anymore mm-hmm. because sales stages depend upon the rep putting it in the stage and they, they're horrible at that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're horrible. There's nothing in it for them. Uh, and so I have translated to thinking of, in terms of where am I in the number of meetings? Mm-hmm. Because I know, example, in my commercial business, I know that the first inflection point is getting everybody, getting the customer past the fourth meeting. What's happening in meeting one through th- four through four? Is there some qualifications? There's some discovery. The customer is probably bringing in two or three more people. uh, And they're getting comfortable that they're going to sponsor you to more of the buyer. I don't, my win rate below four meetings is virtually zero. There might be a couple of bluebirds, but I got to get past meeting four. Uh, And then I know when I get the key decision maker, which for me is a CRO, that typically happens at about meeting seven and eight. If I can get to meeting seven, I would 75% of the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like that was an aha moment for me. Yeah. So now you start to think about well, what is my rep my reps doing in meetings one through four when they convert versus when they don't? Mm-hmm. And I want to know every deal in the funnel that just had a meeting four last week with no fifth meeting scheduled. Let's look at the activity engagement. This is where I want to know how did the are they looking at the content? Like, like now, now you can see very quickly. The system is going to identify look at these are these stalled deals or not that's how you drive a collective focus on execution right because getting that deal past meeting four to five is not just all on the rep mm-hmm. right what marketing material works when i get there versus versus marketing saying look at all this great content well it's actually look at what actually has an impact right um Field enablement, like go figure out the guys that are guys and gals that are getting this and go give me an enablement program to help everybody execute at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, A a good example on product, like I've had many cases in my experience where product says you should never be losing. Well, actually, when this competitor gets engaged at this stage, look at my win rate drops by 15%. Is that the rep or is that your product or is that enablement? Mm -hmm. But let's come together, help our sales team execute Now you're grounding the whole discussions on data. So before you do anything relative to forecasting or or guided selling for the rep, get the data and go assess what's your sales process and where do you want to optimize? Where are your points of friction? Where are your inflection points? Um, And then you can decide how expansive you want to go relative to guided selling or forecasting or dashboardings. Start there.
0: Love it. Number one, data Capture number two, kind of the historical analysis of what I like to call the the sales and the buying flow, the kinetics of it. Okay. What's the one piece of advice, Todd, that you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today? Um, oh, wow, that's a really good question. Um,
1: so, you know, the, 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 there are a couple of different things that really depends upon the persona that, that I, I, I want to impart on people. If you're a marketing ops person, a marketing lead, or a rev ops, sales ops, or a revenue leader, like what we've kind of talked about, uh, you have to embrace data analytics. Mm-hmm. Get out of the business of trying to create dashboards and pretty charts that anticipate every question that c suites is going to gonna, gonna answer. I see a lot of people still doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and I tell them, listen, the way you get a seat at the table is by really understanding the data. And the, the amount of data available now is so much better. The tools, so much better to glean those insights. That's how you change your game to be able to have a seat at the table. Um, now, in order to do that, you also, yeah, there are some organizations that will be receptive to that and some won't. Like I've guided mm-hmm. many people who have tried to do that and they just have an art of sales type CRO or not a very analytical CEO. I tell them, you know what? You're fighting a losing battle. Like mm-hmm. you can't help them. Um, but I would tell uh, all those personas embrace data and analytics because, because it will, it will, it will give you a seat at the table. It will make it a much more funner, more intellectually stimulating job. You can, you will control your career if you embrace this.
0: Love it. Embrace data and analytics. Todd, how can anyone in the Evolvers community find and reach you online?
1: Uh, you can reach out to me at LinkedIn. You can send me a direct email. My email is T Abbott, uh, T-A-B-B-O-T-T at uh, insightsquared.com. Um, I, I I take any and all emails and I certainly stay in touch on uh, on LinkedIn. So either way uh, are good two good ways to get me.
0: Yeah. And this is so important to embrace the data and analytics. Todd is, uh, I, I know I've dialogued with you uh, yeah. in LinkedIn before and uh kind of how we got to know each other as well so he does answer so definitely reach out to him and he's happy to help you can see this is a passion project for todd it's not just about selling another you know license it's about really helping to reshape this whole game as being someone who's been a global sales leader, a, a CRO before, he wants to make it where those tenures are much, much longer, and your career is much happier. I know you're on a mission, Todd, and I'm just happy to be play a part in it and help support it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the time, and I think you summarized it well. If we can, if we can start to reverse the trend on the tenure of, of CROs out there, I will uh, I will go off into the sunset a happier man.
0: Awesome. Todd, thank you so much for participating in this interview. And until next time, as always, Evolvers, keep evolving.